Thank you, Isabel. Hey, so on that giving piece, um, when I was in business here in San Diego, before I was a pastor, we were so broke, we couldn't pay attention. And the Lord taught me about tithing. And uh, did you catch that? So broke, we couldn't pay attention. And the Lord taught me about tithing, which is giving the first 10% of your income to God through the church to do the Great Commission, which I thought was a silly thought. But it completely revolutionized our business. And so we brought the same thing in the ministry where everything, the first 10, 15% of everything comes in, goes out to the poor, goes out to missionaries. We so, 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 always have, always will. And so whether you're a single mom or CEO of a corporation, um, I will encourage you to tithe. And so, um, so I got this text this morning, which is the reason I'm bringing this up is because John and Malika Bynum, who are out of town, but they're uh, members of our church, and they're newly new believers, and uh, John was having a really hard time with the concept of giving. And some people think people in church talk about giving because they want your money, or maybe you're afraid of it, or you have uh, doubt or unbelief or whatever. The way to break out of all of that is just start giving and watch what God does, and then you're just like, oh, okay, I get it now. I give to the kingdom of God, God gives back to me. And so, um, but John was really struggling with this to his own admission, right? And so I got this text this morning as I was praying for you this morning. I got this text from John. Good morning, Pastor John. I wanted to give you a quick testimony. You know, I've been struggling with tithing, but Malika made me do it. (laughs) She convinced me to give the whole 10% and we've been struggling before. So I was super worried because we've been struggling financially I was super worried to do it, but I put my faith in God and listened to my wife. Like a good husband, laugh out loud. We are currently in Louisiana. Hey, online community, John and Malika, it's great to have you with us today. Um, in Louisa, visit, visiting family before the baby is due. And paid for it with a credit card. Going more into debt, but the Lord is good. Malika finally got her insurance money back from the accident, which was $4,000. And five days later, I just got back back pay from the Navy for $4,300. Yeah, huh? Look at that. He said, I tested the Lord and boy, did he deliver. I hope you have an amazing day and let us know if you need anything, Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'll take half. All right. Hey, you asked. Smile, David. There we go. We're in church. It's not a funeral, all right? Also, if you've never been water baptized since you gave your life to Jesus, next Sunday, Easter, we decided we're doing it right on Easter Sunday because Jesus is all about changed lives. That's the end result is your life is changed. And water baptism is an outward profession that I am unashamed of Jesus. Just like Jesus hung on the cross publicly for me, and then he was buried in a tomb, I will be buried in a water tomb publicly for him. I'm unashamed of my Savior. Then it's just as Jesus rose from the dead, so you come up out of the water, resurrected to live a new life for Jesus. So what would be a better thing to do on Easter than water baptisms? Amen? Amen. So if you've never been water baptized since you gave your life to Christ, you need to do it. And next Sunday is the right time to do it. So if you haven't been water baptized, talk to me after the service and say, I need to be water baptized and we'll get you on the docket. All right. Everybody say purity, Purity. prayer, Prayer. power, Power. praise. Praise. Again, purity, Purity. prayer, Prayer. power, Power. praise. All right. I'm not okay. Until you do it, we're not going to move forward. You guys ready? Purity, prayer, power, and praise. This is what Jesus brought to the temple in the triumphal entry. That's what we're going to look at today is the day that Jesus cracked open the beginning of our salvation. He has spent three and a half years proving that he was the son of God through signs, miracles, and wonders. He lived an innocent life, the only innocent person that's ever lived on the planet so that he could trade his innocent life for our guilty life, for his sinless life, for our sin-filled life. What he did on the cross was a substitution for you and for me. He absorbed God's judgment for our sin on his body, in his body, so we could absorb his righteousness as a free gift. Religion will not teach you that, but the Bible will. Say salvation is a free gift. gift. Bought by Jesus Jesus. for me. me. Okay. And so what we're going to look at today is him 
beginning the beginning of the most excruciating, painful, torturous week of Jesus' life. He's about to go to Jerusalem where he's avoided because they keep trying to find him, catch him, and kill him. So he hasn't gone to Jerusalem, but now it's time. It's time for him to head into Jerusalem where he's going to be falsely accused, arrested, beaten, tortured, crucified. Now we're only going to read the beginning of, the, of this week. The end of the week, Friday, is when he was crucified. Next Sunday... <sighs> yeah, yeah, our, our Savior's alive. He wasn't just some teacher, just some prophet. He proved to be the Son of God from the resurrection from the dead. When people say, I don't believe, well, what are you going to do with the resurrection? It's easier to prove than disprove, I promise you. But this, but this is the beginning of the week. Now, this was what was so hard about this. The Bible says this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem as a lamb to the slaughter. That's what Isaiah the prophet said. Jesus is coming. He's just going to allow them to arrest him, allow them to beat him and, and torture him, allow them to crucify him. But the hardest part of this wasn't the fact that he was going to be physically tortured, which is enough. Nor was it even absorbing our sin into his body, his sinless body. He never tasted sin in all of eternity. But it was also the fact that he was going to be separated from his father for the first time in all of eternity. So that we would not have to be separated from the Father ever again. We're just going to read the first day of him coming in to Jerusalem. We're not going to read his torture and his crucifixion. I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask you. Please read that this week. Young men that are meeting in my house for discipleship. We're going to read it this week. We're going to read that together. Please read what Jesus went through for you this week. If you want to know how much he loves you. Read about what he went through for you. Read it. Imagine being there and watching it. So that you can prepare your heart for the celebration next Sunday. But what's telling, what I want to capitalize on today, what's telling is where Jesus went first when he came into Jerusalem. He didn't go to a restaurant. He didn't go to his motel. He didn't go to visit friends. He went straight to the house of God. He went to the temple because Jesus is all about his father's house. In the Old Testament, back then it was called a temple. Now it's called the church. We, here we are, the people of God in the house of God. The word church in the Greek is ecclesia, which literally means the gathering of those summoned or called out. The church is not a building. The church is God's people who have been called out of the world. To live with him and for him and look like him and follow his steps. I've been called out. He called me when I was 19 years old. He drew me and proved to me that he was the son of God. And that was 40 years ago. My friends did not believe it. They thought I was pulling a prank on them. Because I was the partier. I was the one providing it all. It was at my house. And then I'd give my life to Jesus. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. I was called out. Were you called out? If you weren't called out yet, he's calling you. You got to decide whether you're going to ghost him or you're going to respond. The word ecclesia also means a political assembly of citizens to conduct business and for considering affairs determined by the council. Our council is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And when we gather together, We are finding out what God's agenda is, and then we go out and do that in the world. We are the citizens of heaven living temporarily on the earth. We're the church. That's why Jesus went straight to the church, because that is the epicenter of everything God does in the earth. But let's start with him coming into town. All right, you guys ready? Say it again. Say purity, Purity. prayer, Prayer. power, Power. and praise. praise. These are the things that Jesus restores to the church when he comes to town. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, 
and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Okay, now wait a minute. Let's say this is your donkey and your colt. Or let's just say it's your car, because I don't know how many of you have donkeys. I did call uh, Pastor Josh yesterday, and all of a sudden I heard a rooster crowing in the background, and, and I realized uh, he's in Ramona. He said, I'm on my tractor, and uh, that's my rooster. I'm like, that's how you know. All right? Let's say it's your rooster. Let's say it's your donkey, your colt. Let's say it's your car. Some stranger just walks up to you, Mary, and says, uh, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm taking your car. All right? Okay, let's pretend like you have the car of your dreams. Okay? I'm, take, I'm taking your car. Okay, what, what's that called? That's called a carjacking, right? This is a donkey jacking, right? And it's like, whatever. And Jesus says, and if they say anything, just say, the Lord has need of them. Let's try that. Let's try that when we carjack somebody. He said, hey, I need your car. Whatever, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay, here are the keys, right? What's going on here? What is going on here? So you read the Bible, you read stuff like this, and you just read right over it. It's like, wait, stop, hold the phone. This guy's just minding his own business. It's his donkey. It's his donkey's colt. Who's the stranger coming up and saying, give me your donkey? And I say, no. And he says, the Lord has knees of him. Oh, okay, go ahead and take it. What is happening here? This is, this is Jesus beginning to fulfill prophecy. The Holy Spirit is orchestrating this whole week, starting right here. The sovereign Lord who's controlled over all the earth and all the peoples on the earth. You'll see this all the way through Jesus' rest crucifixion and resurrection how god orchestrates the whole thing this should give you tremendous hope about whether god can orchestrate your life or not you just have to decide whether you're going to submit to him and say my life is yours once you do that he begins to orchestrate your life just like he did this week he says and all watch this all this was done that it might be fulfilled everybody say fulfilled all this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet saying quote Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. That prophet, foal, the same thing, colt, foal. Seriously, you're going to argue with me over whether it's a foal or a colt. Is this what we're going to do here today, is argue over these little things? It was a rooster, okay? This prophecy in Zechariah, that when the Messiah comes... This is what he's going to do. He's going to come riding into Jerusalem on, a, on the colt of a donkey. That prophecy was given 500 years earlier. When people say they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe he's the son of God, they don't believe he's the Messiah, they don't believe in him, all you have to do is look at prophecies in the Bible. In fact, there's a mathematician Professor P.W. Stoner was chairman of the Department of Mathematics, check this out, and in astronomy at Pasadena City College and chairman of the science division at Westmont College. In his book, Science Speaks, he outlines the mathematical probability of one person in the first century fulfilling just eight messianic prophecies, real specific prophecies from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, where the Messiah would be born, where the Messiah will be raised, what the Messiah's personality be, will be like, um, what the Messiah will do, the miracles he'll perform, his ministry, who will arrest the Messiah, where they will arrest him, when they will arrest him, how they will beat him, specifically crucify him, which was prophesied 700 years about the Messiah before the form of crucifixion for death and, uh, and, and punishment was ever even invented by the Romans. 700 years before they crucified Jesus, Isaiah prophesies the Messiah will have his hands and his feet pierced. Crucifixion. Nobody even had thought of crucifixion yet. If one man could fulfill just eight of these prophecies about the Messiah, here's the probability of that. We find that the chance of any man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies is one and 10 to the 17th power, which is one in, ready? 100 quadrillion. Okay, you know what a quadrillion is? You got a million, then what? 
A billion and then what? A trillion and then what? A quadrillion. Right? If, if for, for somebody to fulfill just eight of these prophecies, it would be one and one hundred quadrillion chances. Uh, the, the lottery was 16, the lottery was 16, no, 1.6 billion dollars in 2018. There was a lottery. 1.6 billion dollar jackpot. The odds of winning it, 302 million. The odds of winning the jackpot is 302 million. The odds of one man fulfilling just eight prophecies was 100 quadrillion in one. What about the probability of him fulfilling 48 prophecies? Is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Can't even calculate it. Do you know how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled? At least 300 prophecies. If you want to be honest about who Jesus is, all you have to do is look at fulfilled prophecies and you should be convinced. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found between uh, 1947 and 56. That's uh, in the north shores of the Dead Sea. There were 950 different manuscripts of various lengths found, and they range from 300 B.C. up to and through Jesus' birth. All these prophecies were found in manuscripts that Jesus fulfilled. This should give you great faith that Jesus is the Messiah and that he can orchestrate your life if you will let him. So here comes Jesus, the Messiah, coming to die for your sins, to pay the price for us, so you won't have to on Judgment Day. Do you know that in heaven there's two books? The book of John saw this. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to John. After Jesus died, died, rose from the dead, he appeared to the apostle John, and he showed him the future, showed him heaven, showed him hell, showed him the whole thing. And he also showed him these two books. One book is a book that has all your sins recorded in it. Did you know that? Everybody say, turn to your name and say, that's bad news. For you. Go ahead and tell them. For you, that's bad news. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why would God record all your sins? Is he, like, is he like angry at you, mad at you? Is he like just wanting to stick it to you? That, huh? No. He has all your sins recorded so that when you show up on judgment day and you try to make excuses, he'll be like, look, I saw you here. I saw you do that. I, I even saw you. I heard you think this. I saw you. De- desire this i saw it's all recorded everybody can say that's bad news but there's another book in heaven called the book of life and if you give your life to jesus christ all your sins in this sin book are completely erased and your book if god sees your book and the book of life he's like come on in it's time to party forever So here comes Jesus to buy and pay for this with his own blood. And he knew, though he knew this was going to be a victorious week, he also knew it was going to be a week of torture and pain and suffering. To the point where, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he used to hang out with his friends, his disciples, and he's about to go be crucified and absorb our sins into his own sinless body and and to be separated from his father for the first time ever, so that he could buy our salvation. He says he was so stressed out that blood came out the pores of his face. And that's medically possible. It's physiologically possible for you to have such, such anxiety and pressure build up that literally your blood starts coming out of the pores of your face. That happened to Jesus. That's the strain he was under. He asked his friends, uh, Peter, John, James, please come pray with me. Jesus said, I'm so depressed, I feel like I'm about to die. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you been under such pressure and stress, you just feel like you're going to die? There have been times I felt my heart just squeeze so tight, I literally thought for sure I'm about to have a heart attack. Have you ever had 
panic attacks, stress. In the middle of the night, you wake up, start thinking about life and pressure. Jesus feels you. This is the mystery of the God-man. He's God, but he's also 100% man. He completely feels you. He understands. He's been there. He's been there, done that, been there, had that done to him. And then what about when he calls his three best friends? Please come pray with me. Jesus, that's all I've done for you. I'm just asking you to come pray with me a little bit. I'm so stressed out. I feel like I'm going to die. They're like, oh, okay. What'd they do? They fell asleep. Have you ever felt abandoned by those closest to you? Jesus feels you. It's happened to him too. And he's here for you to be your savior, to be your friend, to walk with you through life, sustain you and strengthen you. I was talking to someone this week who said their newfound faith is creating havoc in the home. And his own parents are upset that he's become so committed to this Jesus. And he came and asked me about it. And I said, well, you know, how Jesus said he's the prince of peace. He also said something else. He said this, I have not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. And the enemy, your enemies will be those of your own household. Because when you give your life to Jesus, not everybody's going to be happy about it. And you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to follow him or follow whatever or whoever else? That's the decision of a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's going to cost you. He didn't, create, he didn't, he didn't promise you a pain-free life. But he did promise to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you to a banquet table waiting for you in the presence of your enemies. But you have to choose to follow Jesus no matter what. He'll never forsake you. The question is, are you going to forsake him? Back to the word. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Those are palm trees. That's why this is called Palm Sunday, by the way, if you didn't know. They took branches from palm trees, laid them down on the road as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's why it's called Palm Sunday. Spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before him and those who were cried out saying, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved and saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now look, just because you have a bunch of likes on Facebook or people liking your Instagram posts, and just because you have 2000 really close friends, online and they're talking about how wonderful you are how beautiful you are, how smart you are how awesome you are and all the accolades listen that can change like that you can be canceled like that that's what they did to jesus three days later the same crowd they're saying hosanna hosanna we were just singing it the same crowd three days later shouted crucify him crucify him don't live your life for the opinions of others live your life for the opinion of god Raise that up higher, Blake. Come on, shake that cross. Let's go. Get it up there. Hey! I said that, and he's got his cross back. Get it up there. You got one in the back? Hey, we got crosses today. What's going on here? What do we have in the house? We got crosses. Look at this. I didn't get a cross. Where's my cross? Okay, look. Yeah, okay. This is all fun and games, but guess what? That's a sign of crucifixion. That is a symbol of death. Jesus doesn't say, come and follow me and I will make all your waddles dreams come true like Pedro. No, if you ever, right. I mean, if you know Napoleon dynamite, no, Jesus doesn't promise that Jesus says, come to me and die. And then I will give you true life, eternal life. And every day you got to take your cross and make a decision to follow Jesus. And there's going to be pressure to get you not to do that. People, problems, persecution, tribulations, sufferings, and you're going to have to decide you're a true disciple. And if you will, the day you see him face to face, he's going to say, Christian, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord, man. Woo, yeah. All right. See that galaxy over there? That's yours. Go get it. Wow, look at him go. It's going to be so much fun. All right. Why did Jesus ride into to Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey and not on a war horse. 
You see, the Jews thought, and rightly so, that their Messiah was going to be a political ruler. And he's going to come in on a white horse, and he's going to, and they're going to be in his cabinet, and they are going to take over the occupying Roman government. Our Messiah is a political ruler. Hmm. He is our hope, our political ruler. He's going to make everything right. You see, in biblical times, when one king conquered another king, they would, they would chain the, the king and the princes, and, they would, and the, the, the conquering king would come into his town. All the people were there just like, just like this, cheering as the king's coming in on his, on his war horse, and the conquered king is in chains and the princes, and then he would get off the horse, and then they would have the king, the, con- the defeated king, get on the ground, put his neck, his foot on the neck of that king, and then chop his head off in front of everybody. So this is what they're expecting their Messiah to do. And yet here he comes on the cult of a donkey. What is he doing? He's not coming in as a conquering king yet. That day is still to come. When Jesus comes back on a white horse with the armies of heaven following the captain of heaven's armies and he comes back to earth and he says, yeah, woo, here I am, right? And Michael takes out that trumpet. I don't know, if, sorry, Michael, I don't know if that's actually what you're going to do. That's kind of weak. I'm sure it's better than that. But that's when Jesus comes back and rules. This is him coming as the lamb to the slaughter because he had not yet won the victory. He wasn't coming to defeat a natural enemy to restore the kingdom to a one people group. He was coming to put his foot on Satan's neck and set the entire human race free. Satan thought he had him, but he was playing right into God's hands. But the first place Jesus went when he came into town was the church. He loves his father's house. Earlier when we were worshiping, did you feel his presence? The joy in here? That was the first thing that got my attention when I went to church. I just went to church when I was 19 years old because somebody kept asking me to go and I just wanted them to stop asking me, so I went. That's what I went to church for. And I walked in and everybody was like us, just happy and people wearing jeans and having Bibles and laughing and nobody was stoned and nobody was drunk. And I, could, I couldn't connect the dots. I'd never been into an environment where everybody's happy, but people aren't drunk. That was my world. That's all I knew. I was like, what is going on here? These people are joyful and nobody's stoned. I couldn't figure it out. So finally I went home and said, Jesus, if you're who those people say you are down there, I'm inviting you into my life. And I have a journal. And in my journal, I literally started the day I said yes to Jesus. I said, today I rejoined a religious group. I don't know. It might be the start of something. I'm not sure. (laughs) So what did Jesus do when he went to church? Everybody say purity, Purity. prayer, Prayer. power, and praise. Praise. Okay, we're going to have to pop through this pretty quickly. Each one of these, purity, prayer, power, and praise. Purity. Matthew 21, 12. Here we go. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Do you know I read a report recently about the number top three reasons why people doubt Christianity. The number one, the hypocrisy of religious people. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. This isn't the first time Jesus had to go to church and make things right. He did it at the beginning of his ministry. He did it at the end of his ministry. These are the bookends to Jesus' ministry, the Father's house. Because the Father's house, church, is where is the epicenter of God's divine activity in the earth. It's where his children gather and his presence comes and fills us up. And then we go out to be the salt and light of the world. When we come to church, it is not for entertainment, it's not for prosperity, it's not for popularity, it's to worship Jesus. 
That's why we come here. It's a house of worship. But we so easily turn it to other things. And so Jesus has to continually come to us again and again and again to purify the motives of our heart. Purity. He's coming to make things right at church again. To, let, to make the house of God a place where people that have a desire to worship Jesus come. You can go, you want to go clubbing, go clubbing. You want to go to the movies or entertainment, do that. You want to go to seminars to learn how to get rich, go do that. But when you come here, may it be because we want to worship Jesus. And may His presence fill our hearts and His house every time we come. And may His power then. But that's not what was happening here. The church was polluted. Jesus goes in to drive out greed, lust, extortion, and spiritual pollution. They were changing money for temple currency. Here's what they were doing. We've never heard this before, where people that lead the church are using people's desire to worship to make financial gain and profit. We've never heard of that before, have we? No. So these guys, what would happen is, when these people are coming to Jerusalem from far distances to worship, you have to bring an animal sacrifice. Well, they can't bring their animals uh, they can't travel with their animals to sacrifice, so they're going, they're going to buy an animal when they get to Jerusalem. And so what they did in the temple was, aha, extortion. Rather than selling a dove for 50 cents, let's sell a dove for $10. Do you know how much a beer costs at Padre Stadium? Huh? For, now, how would the worship pastor know this? Hmm. Everybody say Purity. $16. Do you know how much a little scoop of ice cream and a Padres hat costs? Huh? Close. $11. You've, you've had that done to you. All right. What about a Padres cap? Like these guys' caps back here. Padres cap. How much does a Padres cap cost? $45. That's why you sneak candy bars into the movie theater, right? I'm not going to pay... $15 for a little Snickers bar? Come on. I, I remember one year I had all my kids here. They wanted to go to the movies all the time. We had too many kids. It cost me, you know, my salary. And so I brought all the kids in. I said, you guys wanted to go to the movies? Yeah. You want to bring a friend? Yeah. Okay. So I laid out. Okay. You want to go? Okay. That's uh, back then it was like $10 for you. We had six kids. We had $10, $10, $10, $10. Okay. Who wants to bring a friend? I do. Okay. You bring a friend. All right. Another $10, $10. Who wants popcorn? I do. Okay. All right. So that's what? Another $7 for a small bucket of popcorn. How many you want a Coke? Yeah. Okay. That's what? $100. And so, but I had our dining room table filled with $1 bills. I said, let's go to the movies. Then I said, or this is way back when we can do Blockbuster. $2, right? $2.50. Great. You want popcorn? As much as you can eat. One dollar. You want soda? Hey, we can get the two liters, right? Two dollars. Boom. Five dollars. The whole family. Yeah. 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 That's the last time we ever went to the movies and my kids are still scarred over it. So, yeah, and that's a uh, 10 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month. So you need to start paying for some of that. All right. Shouldn't have brought it up. This is what, this is what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 3 through 5. Anyone who has a different teaching does not. This is about purity, everybody. It's about purity of our hearts. Let's let God purify our hearts as I'm preaching to us this morning. Let's let him remove everything that's competing with Jesus in our hearts so we can have a pure worship of Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. You've got you've to present yourself as I'm preaching and say, Jesus, please set me free. Purify my heart. I want it to be all about just you and you and you and you only. He'll do it. Anyone who has a different teaching does not agree with this true teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that shows the true way to serve God. This person is full of pride and understands nothing, but is sick with the love for arguing and fighting about words like donkeys and colts and fowls. This brings jealousy, fighting, speaking against others, evil mistrust, and constant quarrels from those who have evil minds and have lost the truth. Watch this. They think that serving God is a way to get rich. That's what was going on. 
Paul puts it this way. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. We can just get prideful so quick. Especially when God prospers you. Or God uses you in the supernatural gifts, right? Like he prophesies through you. Like many of you new believers in here, God's used you supernaturally to prophesy, meaning that you pray over somebody and God gives you supernatural information and you tell the person like, oh my gosh, how could you know that? How many of that's happened to you before? Just raise your hands. Come on. How could you know that about me? Well, God knows you. He sees you. He knows your name. He cares about you. So he speaks through somebody. Okay. Now you show up to church the next day, next week. You're like this. Ah, I prophesied. (laughs) You know what that would be like? That would be like the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, going back to the stall to all the other donkeys. They shouted Hosanna to me today. (laughs) You're just a donkey. He is what it's all about. Not you and me. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. I don't have time to read the Malachi prophecy, but Jesus coming to the temple is prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, and it says when he comes, he will purge and purify. That's what we need him to do today. And then the next one is prayer. Say purity, Purity. prayer, Prayer. power, Power. praise. Once he purifies our hearts, then he reestablishes it. He says next, it says, then he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. He's putting the house, he's, re, he's fixing the DNA of the house, the church. He said, you've made it a place of prosperity, but it's supposed to be a place of prayer. Why? Because prayer is what releases heaven on earth and destroys Satan's works. Prayer is what heals the sick. Prayer is what casts out demons. Prayer is what brings the peace of God into a human heart. Prayer is what saves a soul from hell. Prayer. Prayer is what causes the church to come on fire. Why? Because prayer releases the Spirit of God. Performance doesn't. Entertainment doesn't. Nothing releases the Spirit of God but prayer. That's why Paul, when he's in prison, said, I know I'm in prison, but I know I will be set free by your prayers and the supply of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? He said, church, I'm in prison, but if you'll pray, I'll be set free. Because it'll supply the Holy Spirit and he'll do miracles. How many of you want miracles in here? How many want miracles in your life? You gotta pray, 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 pray. I don't have time to pray. I see you on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. You got plenty of time to pray. As soon as social media came on the scene, that just dismantled everybody's excuses about not having time to pray. Yeah, you can pray. There's always time to pray. You got to make prayer like breathing. I pray for you all the time because you need it. And I want, and I want you to pray for me all the time because I need it even more than you do. Because I'm at the point of the spear up in here, right? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, right? I need your prayers. Paul begged for prayers. We need to pray and pray for each other. It's what causes us to be empowered by his spirit. And for the devil to be pushed back and for people to be set free. We need to be a praying church. Then that releases the power. That's the next thing he says. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. See? Remember I told you that the church is the gathering of the citizens of heaven to do God's business? Jesus said, I must be about the Father's business. So he goes to the Father's house. And what's the business? Heals the sick. Heals the lame. Jesus has come to restore our lives. And that's what the house of God is supposed to be about, is the restoration of people's lives. Matthew 21, 15 through 16. I'm just jumping through here like skipping a rock on the, ocean, on the, on the water because we're running out of time. We're going to come to communion and ask God to purify our hearts.
so that his power can be released in our lives and in our church at a whole nother level. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Why? What? Wait, what? When the, when the leaders of the church saw that Jesus was healing the sick and the lame, like people who couldn't walk, and he heals them, their legs grow out, their eyes pop open, their ears open up. He's doing miracles. And the church leaders were angry about it. What? Why? Why would that be? I'm asking you. Why, why would leaders of a religious institution be mad when somebody comes in and starts healing the sick? You can't. Well, first of all, it was on the wrong day of the week. That's right. The Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, keeping our day off is more important than somebody who's been suffering their entire life to be healed by God. They had their priorities all jacked, right? They're already ripping people off at church. And now they don't care about suffering people. They don't have the heart of God. Why else were they angry? Power. It's not happening through them. They need to control the situation. Who's this Jesus? Who's this rabbi? Who's this carpenter's son? Who's this nobody? And all the people were flocking to him. And the children, Hosanna, Hosanna. As soon as you start following God, you're going to be persecuted. As soon as you decide, I'm following Jesus, here it comes. But hey, don't be afraid of the attack because Jesus is stronger than any attack that will come your way. And he lives in you and he's with you. He will be your protector, your savior, your healer, your guide, your helper, your friend. The Lord said to me one day, you have more faith in the devil attacking you than me giving you the grace to overcome the attack. I'd found myself becoming afraid of a defeated foe. When Jesus rose from the dead, he put Satan's neck under his foot. And then he said, John, come here. I said, okay. And I became a follower of Jesus. And he says, here, put your foot right here on Satan's neck and over all the power of the enemy. Didn't Jesus say that? You shall trample on what? Serpents. And come on, and serpents and scorpions and over all, come on, church, all the power of the enemy. That was him as the king showing you what I talked about earlier about putting your foot on the neck of a natural defeated king. Jesus says you will put your foot on the neck of serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. We do not need to be afraid of the devil. He needs to be afraid of us. So, everybody say purity, Purity. prayer, Prayer. power, Power. praise. Praise. Then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Oh, wait a minute. Go back up. It says, yeah, and the children came and praised him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's our pride our stubbornness, our arrogance, our cynicism, our skepticism that will block us and lock us out of the kingdom of God. One day, Jesus' disciples, these young guys, they had never been to seminary. They didn't have a college. They didn't have a, a uh, seminary degree in the, in the Bible. Jesus calls them, sends them out. They come back, they couldn't believe it. They, they could not believe it. They said, we cannot believe that when we use your name, demons do what we say. They couldn't believe it. They're like, who are we? We are them now. We are they. What's the grammar on that? You are now, if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter if you gave your life to Jesus a day ago or a hundred years ago. It doesn't matter. Once you give your life to Jesus, you carry the same authority that he has. And demons have to do what you tell them to do. Because his name is in his, his authority is in his name. But it all begins with purity of heart. So let's, uh, I need a, I need a communion.
Hey, Christian, can you give me some communion? Thank you. If you don't have, oh, thanks. Now Mark needs one. Oh, Mark had two. Oh, double-fisted communion in church. He's like, he's like, I need, I need twice the help as anybody else. Come on, if you don't have communion, grab your communion. Everybody say purity, purity. Prayer. prayer, power, power. Praise. praise. Jesus has come not just to restore our temporary lives and our physical lives. He heals us. He helps us, you know, with our businesses and our money and he, he protects us and he does all that stuff in this temporal world. But most importantly, he has come to restore our spiritual lives and our connection with God. He's come to restore our relationship with God. And the place he begins is with purity of heart. I'm turning from the world and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning from that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that friend that is distracting me from following Jesus with a whole heart. And I'm turning and I'm choosing to follow Jesus today. Lift that cross up again. Go ahead. Where's your cross? All right. Just hold it up. That means I'm dying to myself. I'm dying to the relationships in my life that are holding me back from Jesus. I'm dying from people's opinions about my Christianity and my faith in God. I'm dying to my own future plans and I'm asking God to orchestrate my life as the king of my life. I'm crucified with Christ. Everybody say, I'm crucified with Christ. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for me. That was the first scripture I ever learned as a 19-year-old, Galatians 2.20. What is in your life right now that is the biggest competition to Jesus? Is it a relationship? What, what entity, enemy, person, thing is between you and Jesus? You're, you're loving it. Is it pornography? Is it greed? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness and bitterness? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Is it your pride, your stubbornness? What is it? But it's holding you back from having the simplicity of a love for Jesus. Let it go right now. Let it go. Don't let it rob you. Paul said, I fear that in some way your simple devotion to Jesus will be corrupted like Satan corrupted Eve in the garden. If you've been corrupted, turn right now And God will forgive you, fill you fresh. This little wafer here, to us it's just a little wafer. But spiritually it is not. Spiritually this represents your identity with Jesus. Now, If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before, I want to give you that opportunity right now so that you can receive communion with us. That you can be born again and enter the family of God. Become a son or a daughter of God. Right now, instantaneously. It's a miracle. It's not joining a club. You cannot work your way to heaven. You remember the book I told you about that has all your sins recorded? That's so when you get there, God will be just in judging you. The Bible says... It is appointed for every person to die one time. Then you will be judged. Because God's a righteous judge. If God were not to judge you for your sins, He would be an unjust judge. He's holy and perfect and true. His throne is established on righteousness and justice. So He has to judge us for our sins because He's a holy God. But His love triumphs judgment. That's why His love sent His Son to die for you 
on your, in, in your place so that you could be forgiven for your sins before you meet God face to face. You can be forgiven today fully and completely if you receive Jesus as your Savior. So I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I'm just asking you to close your eyes here. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, those of you online, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it right now. Just repeat this prayer to God. Between you and God alone, just repeat this prayer if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you took my place. I also believe that you defeated the devil and you rose from the dead. And I'm turning my life over to you right now. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins. Those of you in here today that are rededicating your life to the Lord and turning from the thing that is competing in your relationship with Jesus, pray that same prayer. Say, I'm turning from all my sins and I'm asking you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Restore me. I give my life to you today, Jesus. Now let's lift the body of Christ together. This is power. This represents what you're going to read in the Bible this week when Jesus went to Jerusalem and was crucified, tortured, and died for you. This is what that represents. And you're saying, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ right now. I'm unashamed of him as he was unashamed of me. Let's eat the body of Christ together. This juice right here represents the blood of Jesus Christ. There is not a sin that you have ever committed in your life that is more powerful than the forgiveness that's in this blood. Not one. All the shame, he took not just your sins, but all the shame, the emotion of shame that comes with that sin. And as you receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, every demon has to let their hold on you go all shame has to go all guilt is cleansed and you are free let's drink the blood of Jesus together and let's stand and worship the king
If it wasn't for your love, the love that tore the veil inside my heart, what would I become? If it wasn't for your blood, the blood you gave for all on that cross, oh, on that cross, all for love. consecration of deep reflection on what Jesus did for you so I beg you spend time reading from where we started today all through his crucifixion think about it meditate on it take communion again at home if you want a deeper relationship with Jesus this is where you begin look look he did for you. And out of that comes a pure heart of thanksgiving. And everything else is just an added benefit. I want to call the prayer teams up. Anybody who has sickness in your body, diseases, incurable diseases, incurable anything, you need a financial miracle, you need a miracle in your marriage, you're mentally oppressed, you may even feel like you're possessed, you come up front. And our prayer teams are going to take authority over the enemy. They're going to pray God's blessings and power on you. They may get prophecies and words of knowledge, which means they'll say things to you through the Spirit of God that only God would know. If you gave your life to Jesus... Please come up. I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. Online, if you gave your life to Jesus, please make a comment. Gave my life to Jesus today. If you need to be water baptized, next Sunday is the day. Bring shorts and a t-shirt and a towel. And uh, right after service, we're going to meet in this other room next Sunday. Right after service, we're going to have a shorter service. We're going to head right upstairs to the third floor on the outside. And we have a portable baptismal take. Some of you have been baptized in it. And we're going to do a water baptism as a celebration of what the resurrected life of Jesus can do in our lives. Amen? Amen and amen. Come on, let's give God praise in here today. Come on. God is good. So if you need prayer, make your way up front here. Otherwise, you can stay and just worship and go out in the foyer and hang and get some coffee and great having you in the house of God today oh your mercy never fails